Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Gary Parish, it's Friday, November 27, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. Hope you guys had a happy and safe Thanksgiving holiday. And I suppose we'll start with the most discussed college basketball team in the past 24 hours, and that is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. First on Thursday, top-ranked Zags beat six-ranked Kansas, 102 90 Awesome performance. And then on Friday afternoon, Mark Few, the Gonzaga coach, confirmed that the Zags beat Auburn on Friday morning, 90-67, after a player believed to be Julian Strother tested positive for COVID-19. So, Norlander, we're going to get into the Zags' incredible opening week on the court in a second, but let's start here. Were you surprised Gonzaga and Auburn still played on Friday after a Gonzaga player tested positive? I was surprised because my opinion is that if other teams, and I'm not saying all other teams, but many other teams were in that situation, the game would not have been played. In my opinion, if Gonzaga ran into the issues it ran into when it was playing in Bubbleville, Gonzaga would not have played its game on Friday. Gonzaga might not have even played its game against Kansas or fill in the other opponent again if you put it in. And I'm I'm speaking from... What I'm seeing here and the protocols and everything that goes into place to even holding this in the state of Connecticut, okay? Gonzaga had a member of its travel party test positive on Thursday. Gonzaga took two different planes to the event specific and has taken two different buses. It's, it's doing this specifically to guard against this, but obviously there is no full-on guarding against this. So it played Kansas, and we'll get to that in a bit, but then... You know, at least one player is positive. Another, believed to be uh, the player's roommate, is kept out as a precautionary reason. And the game goes off because, and you can speak to, I mean, GP, frankly, I mean, we'll, we'll get to Virginia, San Francisco in a minute, but I was, I was, at, I was watching that game. So I didn't hear Fuse press conference. I've seen some of what he's said there. They're relying on the Florida health officials uh, as being the ones that were to clear it. And the, the, Health officials down there made that determination, and it might wind up that that determination is going to be okay in the end, but I've received four text messages from coaches, two heads, two assistants, all of them basically asking, why in the hell is Gonzaga and Auburn being allowed to play right now? One of them saying, if this was us, there is no shot in hell that we would have been able to play, and so... This this has certainly captured a little bit of attention around the college basketball world. Understandably so. Gonzaga's looked awesome, but you can make an easy argument that it that it should not have uh, have played the game. What are your thoughts? And then, what can you share for the listeners that might not have seen it about what Few said in his post game Zoom press conference? Okay, so Mark was clearly asked about it, and he said he kept it very simple. He said we followed tournament guidelines. You know, and not, you know, we, we, the, the tournament guidelines were, are, were in place and established. We had this positive test and then we followed the tournament guidelines. And then the Florida health officials came in and they contact traced how they contact trace. And they told us we were okay to play. Uh, so we were cleared to play and we play. Yeah, he kept it. He didn't really expand any more than that. Um, but, and so listen, they didn't do anything illegal. They, they possibly did something irresponsible, but they didn't do anything illegal. They didn't act in defiance of the tournament or Florida health officials. It should be noted that Florida as a state hasn't taken COVID-19 that seriously to begin with. So what Florida health officials were okay with, quite clearly, it wouldn't be the same thing that, say, California health officials are okay with. So, uh, they're lucky. If, if they wanted to play the game, they're lucky they were in Florida as opposed to, to somewhere else. And you're exactly right. Whether it's Bubbleville or in South Dakota, 
uh, I don't believe this game would have been played. Like Wichita State got sent home from South Dakota because they had, you know, maybe a couple of people in the traveling party test uh, positive. They were like, okay, get out of here. You're not playing today. You're not playing tomorrow. You're not playing at all. So I don't know that this game would have been played if it were part of a tournament where you're at or in South Dakota, but because this was sort of a thing they put together in Fort Myers, um, as long as Auburn was cool to play and Gonzaga wanted to play, they were allowed to play. I, though, was surprised that the game went off because, I mean, we've seen uh, baseball teams get shut down over one positive test during the Major League Baseball season. The World Series, if it would have, if the Dodgers did not win the game in which Justin Turner had to be removed um, because they got a positive test back right in the middle of the game, so they take Justin Turner out, they complete that game. The understanding was that game seven of the World Series would not have been the following night. They would not have played until everybody could test, test, test for a few days and they make sure it's safe to play. And so, yes, I was surprised that they played the game. And hopefully nothing comes from it, that it doesn't end up being a quote-unquote super spreader event. Because if we have an outbreak now at Gonzaga, because by the way, Gonzaga tweeted a video from the locker room after the victory over Kansas, and they're all celebrating, no mask. Julian Strother's right in front of Mark Few, right in the middle of the celebration. He is believed to be the one who tested positive. So hopefully nothing comes of this. But if we have a subsequent outbreak at Gonzaga, or a subsequent outbreak at Auburn, Gonzaga is going to become the biggest story in college basketball, and it's not going to just be a sports story anymore, and it won't be because Jalen Suggs looks incredible. It'll be because they knew they had a positive test in their locker room, and they played less than 24 hours putting their players at risk and the Auburn players at risk. I hope it doesn't come to that, but if it comes to that, this becomes a bigger story than just a college basketball story. It becomes something that's on CBS Evening News. Yeah, we'll wait and see if that does happen. I mean, Auburn's got to be, you know, held equally responsible in all of this because it opted to play the game regardless. You know, there was no self-imposed penalty here handed down by Bruce Pearl. That was not in play on Friday. And so inherently, like, you know, the chances go up that you're going to potentially be infected. We don't know, but that it's clearly out there. I mean, there were, there are no shortage of schools and athletic directors, coaches that just straight up would not have played the game. So we'll wait. Well, and how, see. About, how about this? Arizona state would not play Baylor because the Baylor coach tested positive, not even a player who was, who was going to, um, who was on the court with other players 24 hours earlier. Right. And that came from, that even came from above Bobby's Hurley's Bobby Hurley's head, which is the case in a lot of these instances. But yeah, so it, it frankly, what Gonzaga and Auburn decided to do, it just flies in the face of, convention in college sports in professional sports that we've seen and we'll we'll you know we're recording this on Friday afternoon we'll wait and see what's going to happen here Gonzaga's got some high profile games ahead and weirdly enough one of them is Baylor like if there's (laughs) if there's one team that's actually going to be good with this I feel like it's Baylor (laughs) so they might again they might just play the game regardless but um We'll wait and see if, if either of these teams are now forced. Because if Gonzaga gets another positive and a one after that, like they have no choice. Like they're going to have to shut down for two weeks and then ask themselves if playing against Auburn was really worth it. You know, was it worth it? Because now you're going to lose these other games. Um, we'll wait and see. But yeah, no, it's it's certainly a, it's a major item. And I'll give, uh, I want to give credit to... Uh, uh, to Bubba Prague, Tim Burke on Twitter, because he even he does he captures all these videos and does a good job of it. I mean, it could have been coincidence, but like it's just not a good sign. Like cameras caught Mark Few coughing like rather significantly during the game. So the optics, at minimum, to use a buzzword, just aren't good when this happens. Hopefully, everyone can remain healthy, and hopefully, this will isolate as best you can. But you know, they got to get back on the plane and fly to Indianapolis now. Like, you know, mask up and hope that it doesn't spread. But this is a highly contagious, infectious disease. And so, eh, wait and see. It's not it's, it's, it's not a good sign. And, and Gonzaga, in my opinion, would have been better off not playing the game. But it's relying on the protocols of the event. It's relying on the Florida health officials. Kansas and St. Joe's, by the way, had to be good with this. They were. They played their own game. Kansas won. So here we are. And I'll leave it with this. And then we can talk about what Gonzaga's actually showed us on the court. I guess. 
guarantee you, and I would think you would agree with this impression, I, I guarantee you that this is not what college administrators from the NCAA to athletic directors' presence, this is not the example they want set. They don't want to see schools producing a positive COVID test for a player on the roster within 24 hours of game tipping and then the game getting played anyway. They don't want to see this happen. It happened with Gonzaga. We'll find out if it's aberrational or not. Uh, the last thing I would say is they did what they were allowed to do, right? That That's sort of what Mark um, – is settled on as he was trying to explain this like listen the medical officials cleared us to play the tournament you know we we stayed within tournament guidelines and and that's fine i will say that just because you are allowed to do something doesn't mean it's smart to do you know what you're allowed to do in florida is not the same thing you would be allowed to do in a state that takes this virus a little more seriously for instance I, i think most people know i live in north mississippi my wife owns a store in north mississippi And throughout this entire pandemic, with a very short, one short exception, there has been no mask mandate in the city in which her business operates. And so she was allowed to run her store without requiring customers to to wear masks. And so if she wanted to, if she was ever asked if she allowed customers inside without masks, why she could, you know, honestly say, well, I'm, I'm just following what the local health officials say is okay. You know, they say it's okay. And so it's okay. But she had a mask mandate the entire time still does right now, because just because the politicians in, in, the, in our County don't take this seriously, for reasons we don't even have to get into. I said it was North Mississippi for crying out loud. Um, just because they say it's okay doesn't mean it's smart. Doesn't mean it is actually okay. They, say, they, they allow you to do it, but it doesn't make it okay. And so it is possible that is what we're going to run into with this Gonzaga-Auburn game. They were allowed to play because the tournament said it's cool and Florida health officials said it was cool. But was it really okay to do? Uh, we'll see. Uh, I don't. Some people will are already argue we don't have to wait to see if there's an outbreak. Uh, you know, if, if there's not an outbreak, it means they got lucky. It doesn't mean it was the right thing to do. But this story will come and go as long as there's no outbreak at Gonzaga or, or no outbreak at Auburn. But if there's an outbreak at Gonzaga or an outbreak at Auburn, like I said, um, Gonzaga is going to become the biggest story in the sport, and it won't just be because. They're awesome. It'll be because they, in the minds of certain medical officials, I'm certain, uh, uh, acted recklessly in attempting to play a second game of the season immediately after a player tested positive for COVID-19. All right. As for Gonzaga and what it's done on the court, it is obviously worth uh, plenty of discussion, regardless of the circumstances surrounding them even getting both these games in. They beat they beat Kansas 102-90 on Thanksgiving, and then on Friday, here on Friday, they easily handle Auburn with a 90-67 win. The headlines out of this are... Jalen Suggs being an absolute monster against Kansas, but not just only him, and we will we can focus on him in a second here, but you had Drew Timmy go for 25 points, Kispert had 23, Suggs had 24 in Gonzaga's convincing win over Kansas. Like, it was a 12-point spread, and Kansas kind of floated and kept it close a little bit, but I never felt like Kansas was actually going to threaten to really ever win that game. Uh, it felt like a double-digit game for most of it. So they get the win there, and then... Um, uh, amid the plenty of noise leading up to the tip with with the Auburn game, they come back and hello, Timmy, 28 points, Kispert, 25, uh, excuse me, yeah, and, and Suggs adds 12 along with six dimes, was great again. The supporting cast looks extremely good as well. Uh, Ayayi played better on Thanksgiving than he did on Friday. Andrew Nembhard had more of an impactful game against Kansas than he did against Auburn, but the fact that he's coming off the bench is just, like, he would start for... It's not an exaggeration. Andrew Nebhard would start for, I think, almost any team except maybe two or three, maybe, in the country. And he's coming off the bench at this point. Um, GP, your thoughts on on what Gonzaga has done by kind of just throwing a hammer down and definitively declaring itself as the best team in America. I, I just don't think there's any remote argument for anyone else at this point. I mean, Villanova's not lost yet, and we'll get to them in a few. We haven't seen Baylor play. We saw what Virginia did, and we'll get to that as well. There just doesn't seem to be any team right now. 
I don't want to say in, in the Zags' orbit. I don't want to go that far, but it, it has just simply looked like such an incredibly well-built team that the the preseason hype is uh, is validated. And you, by the way, had them at number one, dating back to when you first did your top 25 and up top 25 and one update in late March. I appreciate you mentioning that because if you didn't, you know I was going to. Oh, I to. know you would. <laughs> you were not only talking to the MC of Atlantic 10, Media, Atlantic 10 Media Day, you were talking to the person who had Gonzaga ranked number one in the 2020-21 season all the way back in March and never wavered. Not when Philip Petrushev turned pro. Not when anything else happened, I had the Zags number one. And now I see our friends like uh, Jeff Goodman, some of these other guys talking about, how could anybody not have Gonzaga number one? I'm like, you guys didn't have Gonzaga number one all offseason. That was GP. GP did that. The MC of Atlantic 10 Media Day. The president of the Bill Henderson Fan Club. And so they're awesome. Do they look more awesome than I thought they might? Sure. I mean, like right now, Drew Timmy's averaging 26.5 points and eight rebounds through two games okay and it's one thing when it's like against you know chicago state and and you know, whatever uh, this is against two power conference teams kansas and auburn bill self and, and bruce pearl and drew timmy's averaging 26.5 points 8.0 rebounds through two games Corey kispert um is at 24 points and, and five rebounds jalen suggs is at 18 points and seven assists and they I don't want to say they look unstoppable. Like, you know, they, they, of course, they, no college basketball team's unstoppable in the modern era. But they did shoot 64.5% from the field against Kansas, 77.3% from two-point range against Kansas. They've got two convincing victories over power conference teams. Auburn's not that good, but Kansas is a legitimate top-10 team. Um, they, they, they look great, and Suggs looks really comfortable ready and honestly better than I thought he would look reminds me a little bit of a couple of situations I remember in uh, 2010 Dukes wins a national title and the next year you know they bring back Nolan Smith they bring back Cal Singler and I remember going to Duke very early in that season maybe even the preseason and talking to Kyle talking to Nolan and I was struck how they talked about Kyrie Irving. Like these are two all-American upperclassmen who just won a national championship and they were like, oh no, Kyrie's different. He's our best player. I just, I was surprised to hear that. And then clearly, you know, Kyrie was. Now that season went sideways because he got hurt, but still the point remains the same. Same thing, Memphis. 2007, they go to an Elite Eight, bring back Chris Douglas Roberts, Antonio Anderson, Joey Dorsey, Dozier for the championship. They enrolled Derrick Rose. And though Derrick wasn't that team's best player, it was actually Chris Douglas Roberts. When you talk to those upperclassmen about Derrick Rose, they were like, he's different than the rest of us. He's just a different level everything. And Jalen Suggs looks like that for Gonzaga right now. He is joining a team with an incredibly talented and experienced nucleus and he looks like a real difference maker. And it's not just scoring, it's playmaking, it's passing. He's uh he's special, man. That that team and that team I think is special. Yeah, and that's where I land right now in that we rated Kispert as a preseason All American, preseason top ten player in the country. And I still think that it's possible that Kispert could be the team's most important player, I guess. But like Drew Timmy has immediately, he's immediately just re reliable and automatic in and around the rim. Great touch, and then you add in Suggs, who was expected to be an impactful player, but few told me a month ago. He said, "Listen, Suggs is going to get there, but he's hitting the same kind of preseason freshman wall that pretty much every single you know four star guy we've had because he's Suggs is the best recruit in the history of the program." And so he said, he's hit that wall. Like, he'll get there. He's learning, but he's he's taking his lumps in practice. Well, I mean, that that he's immediately over the hump. Uh, he's, we've had a nice opening two, two and a half days as we talk here of freshmen stepping in, shining, playing well. You know, Adam Miller at Illinois has done a, a decent job. Um, decent's really kind of underselling it there. Kate Cunningham played well. Evan Mobley looked good. Um, uh, you know, Josh Christopher at Arizona State looked really good. Marcus Bagley had a better first game than the second game. The point is that we are not short on five-star prospects from the class of 2020 stepping in and right away showing that they're ready for this. 
And Suggs is at the top of the list. I mean, he has been uh, immediately good. And he, in some ways, he he's not as explosive and he's not as go, 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 go as Russell Westbrook. But I feel like he is... A notch below, and a notch below what Westbrook was when he was at UCLA, and then what he became really in the early part of his his uh, his pro career. There, he, he's just he's that physical, completely unafraid to go at the rim against anyone. And when we're talking about Gonzaga having three All American level players, like you got to figure that someone's going to bump one at least one of the other two out. But I would totally believe if you told me at the end of the season one of these. Pl- three is going to be first team and one of these three is going to be second team All-American. And then the third guy might not make a third team All-American, but if there was a fourth or fifth team, like he'd clearly land on it. They've been that good and that consistent early. We are early. Understand. I, I overreacted about Virginia and we'll get to that. So I, I, we'll try and keep some uh, restraint here, but it's just undeniable the talent they have. And let's just hope, let's hope everything is okay and then it can actually get these games in the next two weeks against really good opponents because we'd all like to see Gonzaga be healthy, responsible, and actually get to play the best opponents it's going to play because, oh yeah, as a reminder, reminder, it's in the WCC that's got good teams, but there's no one else in that league that matches the level of opponent they're scheduled to play over the next three weeks. Um, it, it's rare for a school to have two first-team All-Americans, but it's not unprecedented. It, it does happen, and Gonzaga looks like a good candidate to do it this year, whether it's Timmy and Kispert or Timmy and Suggs or um, I, I would think it's Timmy and somebody else. I mean, he looks fantastic so far. Uh, they, they could absolutely have two first-team All-Americans, particularly if they you know, just roll through this thing, which it looks like they, they could. I'm not talking undefeated season on November 27th, but um, they could certainly – you know, put together, uh, you know, the, the the type of record they put together last season when they were going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament had we have an NCAA tournament. One last thing on the Zags. The Kansas win was Mark Few's 600th career win. So now he's sitting on 601. You know, he's averaged 28.5 wins per season in his career. And it's actually been more than that in recent years. But if you go uh, his entire career start to now, it's 28.5 wins per season. He's 57 years old and he's a young 57. Like he keeps takes care. I was going to say takes care of himself. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how, how well he took yeah. care of himself here, but in general takes care of himself. Um, you know, he could hit a thousand wins around 70, 71 coach. K's got 1,084 right now. It's not crazy. If Mark wants to do this, you know, into his seventies, 70s it's not crazy to think he could retire as the all-time winning a coach winning his coach in division one men's basketball history so congratulations to him and let's um sincerely hope that we don't have an outbreak at gonzaga at auburn let's hope that we don't look back and and say yeah seemed pretty clear should not have played that game Virginia had a wild first three days of the season. Looked great in game one, looked miserable in game two. We're gonna discuss the Cavaliers next, but first. Check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads... Make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So Virginia had a wild first three days of the season. Cavaliers beat Towson in the season opener 89-54 while making 15 of the 29 three-pointers they attempted. That's 51.7%. Then they turn right around on Friday and lose to San Francisco 61-60 while making just three of the 13 three-pointers they attempted. That's 23.1%. Norlander, you were at Mohegan Sun. You're still there to witness uh, both Virginia games. Makes makes sense of this madness. What what, are the, what is Virginia doing? What is Virginia doing? What is Virginia doing? I mean, this is. I was I was pretty in on Virginia after what it did to. Okay, oh, well let's tell the story about how our day has unfolded. 
uh, you really want to tell a story about how our day has unfolded? <laughs> so we woke up. Um, I mean, I got up early, but Norlander was up much later than I was last night. 3.15 a.m., breaking okay. some Villanova rescheduling news. We'll get to that <laughs> in a couple minutes, but yes, uh, I think so, I was able to fall asleep by about 3.20 a.m. So we were going to podcast at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, and so we did. We started podcasting, and we talked about Gonzaga. A lot of, you know, and, and then the news broke that they've got a positive test and we don't know if this game's going to start and then it does start. And then it's like, oh, my God, they're playing this game um, after somebody has tested positive. What is Mark Few going to say about it? And it just became pretty obvious to us. OK, uh, and we did a we did an hour podcast, okay? You're never going to hear it. The lost episode, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and we did an hour, and, and like we we did the whole thing, and then and then this is, you know what? This is going to be weird. Like we're going to publish this. Gonzaga is the biggest story in college basketball right now, not because they're beating Auburn or pounding Kansas, but because they're playing after somebody tested positive. It, it's going to sound weird if we publish this podcast. We talk Gonzaga at the top, but we don't even really get into what Mark Few said after the game or COVID in, in general. So let's, let's just bag it and we'll come back later and redo the Gonzaga portion of the podcast. And we were probably going to have to redo the Virginia portion of the podcast because Virginia would have played a second game. But man, if you, if you could hear the way we were talking about Virginia this morning <laughs> before they played San Francisco, ah, I'm glad that I'm glad, I'm glad that we, we committed to not publishing that episode and coming back because I mean, we were like, listen, if Virginia shoots it like this, you, we know how they're going to guard. You know, they're 15 to 29 from three uh, in their opener. Like, who's going to be able to mess around with them? And the answer, of course, was San Francisco. The Dons. <laughs> so, the, the, the San Francisco, which, um, you know, was coming off a loss to my Riverhawks from UMass Lowell. Lowell? And Lowell, that's okay. UMass Lowell. All, all of us Southerners you know, know it's you know UMass who's, You know who's Lowell. happy right now. Who is happy right now? Elvis. Elvis is smiling. <laughs> yes, he graduated from UMass Lowell. People don't know that. People think he went from Tupelo to Memphis and recorded at Sun Studio. That's not what happened. He left Tupelo, went to Massachusetts, enrolled at UMass Lowell, graduated with a degree in biology, then came to Memphis, and the rest, as they say, is history. So um, congrats to Elvis Presley's alma mater, UMass Lowell, for getting an incredible uh, uh, victory over San Francisco because it turns into a victory. UMass Lowell owns a victory over a team that just beat the reigning national champion, Virginia. So we spent like 15 minutes on a podcast this morning that that will never be published talking about how awesome Virginia is. And then them, them, them guys went out and did what they sometimes do, Listen, <laughs> which is lose to a, to a grossly inferior team. All right. So yeah, this is uh it's, it's actually pretty damn interesting. So uh, let's go chronological order here. First of all, San Francisco was supposed to play in the Nebraska Golden Window event. Then that thing falls apart because St. Louis and LSU go dark on everyone and frankly kind of were mischievous and just bailed, started their own deal. San Francisco's left without games. It's scrambling. It it, it links up with the organizers here at Mohegan Sun, and they try and get at games, and so some, some games are, are able to be scheduled. And at one point, at one point, like – I think it was San Francisco, Virginia. We're going to open the season against each other. I've lost track, but I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be happening. I think it was San Francisco versus Virginia or, or Towson versus – I've lost – Virginia versus Towson. GP, I can't keep track. But anyway, the point is they're getting all these games. They're agreeing. They're not agreeing. They, we're going to play these. We're not going to play these. When they were flying from San Francisco to Connecticut, they had to have a layover in Salina, Kansas at Salina – regional airport and it was on that layover that the organizers went to Todd Golden and said and this would have been Monday and they said all right here's the deal if you want to play Virginia on Friday it lost its game against Florida it needs another game it wants another game it wants to come to Mohegan Sun if the Dons will play the Wahoos on Friday we'd love to have it and so Golden gets with the staff and his team you know okay guys this would be our third game in as many days it's a good opportunity they agree to do it. Now he agree. Now Golden, I, I talked to him about this obviously after the win today. He agrees to do it because he assumes they're going to beat Elvis Presley's alma mater, 
Going to have right. no issues to start the season with UMass Lowell. And then, although Towson is supposed to be a respectable top three, top four team in the CAA, he, you know, the metrics show that his team is projected to be better. So he just, if we do what we are supposed to do, we're going to be 2-0, going to Mohegan Sun Resort and Casino, house money situation against the Cavs. Then they play UMass Lowell. They look like trash. They're expected to win by like 12, 15 points. They look terrible. They lose by eight, and it was not even that close of a game. And then Golden admitted, you know, the Towson game was super stressful. They didn't start well. They were losing most of the first half. They got the lead, I think, just barely at halftime there. And then it and then it just kind of clicked. Like, the guys kind of got it together. But, you know, he's basically pressing around halftime. It's like, oh, God, we lost the first game. Now we might lose this one. And then we have Virginia. It's 0-3. Like, the season is careening away from us before we know it. They get it under control with Towson. They win on Thanksgiving. Then they play Virginia, which... I mean, Virginia playing it the way it did on offense against Towson was eye-opening. I'm not going to say a revelation because it was not a revelation. What we saw on Friday indicated it was definitely not a revelation. But, you know, Tony Bennett told me that when he watched the film of San Francisco, he said, when I saw what they did in the second half against Towson, they really captured my attention. I kind of perked up a little bit, and then I thought... I'm seeing why these guys are going to be able to give us some problems here. This is not going to be, my players aren't going to, this isn't going to be as easy as my players might think it might be. And part of that is uh, some of the stuff they run, some good size, bigs that can step out and shoot, all of that. And they got, and Virginia got out to an early lead, GP. Um, I had to hustle after the podcast that never was. I had to hustle to get down there, but I did get down, down there literally in time to tip. And then I thought it was going to be an easy Virginia win. That just was not the case. And weirdly, and credit Golden, just 35 years old, by the way, making us look horrendous by comparison. This dude's 35 and just got San Francisco its first win over a top five team since the year I was born, 1981. Um, ran some good stuff, well-prepared. They made 13 three-pointers. How about this? San Francisco made more threes than Virginia even attempted. And this is after Virginia went 15 for 29. Like, the game plan completely got flipped. Bennett admitted, like, they just had us. And they had a Golden and Bennett kind of take you into the bowels of the arena here. After I had interviewed Golden and right before I was going to talk with Tony, they had about a two-minute interaction um, that, you know, it was basically right right in front of me, uh, socially distanced. But um, And Bennett was just super high praise for Golden and the program he was, runs and what they were able to do. And um, and it was, a, it was a cool moment to see between two coaches because, you know, you know, Tony's obviously a very secure coach and, and he, he they were, you know... Listen, you guys got us. What, what do you want me to say? A wonderful, wonderful performance. You guys run some really great stuff. Golden's only 35, man. Like He is definitely considered one of the truly rising stars in the industry. And for them to get this kind of win, he played at St. Mary's. They beat Gonzaga in the mid-2000s. I tweeted out a, a funny photo of him rocking just like in a, just a brutal faux hawk circa like 2008. But you know what? You, <laughs> the internet never forgets. And... Um, he said it was the biggest win he's ever been a part of, bigger than anything as a player. It was just super rewarding. And, yeah, this is cool. I mean, a huge upset for College Hoops, GP. This is the first seismic one of the season. We're only three days in, but this is a this is a real one here. Great for the WCC. Great for San Francisco if it can get the job done to maybe get itself into the tournament picture. And for Virginia, I think it'll be able to figure things out. It goes home now, has four games scheduled, but, oh, by the way, its next game is against St. Francis, the Red Flash. That's like a top 10 moniker. They just won at Pitt. So there's no time to rest for the weary with the, with the Wahoos there. Listen, I don't think any differently about Virginia today than after this loss than I thought about them a week ago. Um, maybe a little differently than I thought about them this morning because after you watch them go 15 of 29 from three – against Towson, you're like, okay, like if they're, and they're not going to shoot the ball like that. I don't mean like if they literally shoot above 50% from three point range, but if they're going to be a good shooting three point team, like the other stuff, well, what they're going to do on the defensive end of the court. And that was the biggest difference between their national championship team and that team last season that really struggled for most of the season in 2019, when they won the title, they shot 39.5% from three point range that ranked eighth in the country, but then they lose DeAndre Hunter. He shot 43.8% from three. They lose Kyle Guy, 42.6% from three. They lose Ty Jerome, 39.9% from three. And they go from shooting 39.5% from beyond the arc 
in 2019 to last season, all the way down to 30.3%. That ranked 311th nationally. They could not make a shot. And so then you watch them add Sam Hauser, Trey Murphy, who, by the way, with Trey Murphy, we weren't even expecting him to be a part of this team. He's a transfer from Rice who needed a waiver and didn't have a waiver until Tuesday. He got the waiver on Tuesday, played on Wednesday, and goes six of eight from three against Towson. Like, Trey Murphy is somebody who shot 39.2% on 5.8 attempts per game in two years at Rice. So they add Sam Hauser, who's an accomplished shooter. They add Trey Murphy, who's an accomplished shooter. They go 15 of 29 from three in that first game, and you're like, okay, here we go. They're going to be tough. And then next game, they just don't They don't shoot as many. They don't make the same anywhere close to the percentage. Hauser was three of three from three against Towson, 0 of three against San Francisco. Trey Murphy, six of eight from three against Towson, 0 of one from three against San Francisco. So I don't know, perhaps the, uh, the, 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 the reality is somewhere in the middle of all of this. Virginia is going to be fine. Virginia is still going to operate at the top of the ACC or at least near the top at worst, but that is a disappointing second game, especially when you had such an awesome opening day performance. Uh, just a couple more quick notes and then we can, we can move along here. Um, if you're UVA and, uh, Tony did mention this to me. Reese Beekman, a freshman, he got 27 minutes, and this was a tight game, and we were immediately seeing just how much Bennett and that staff believes in him. That's intriguing. Uh, Casey Morsell got the start, but Beekman was getting a lot more play. Um, Murphy, I, I want to yeah, I mean, he just didn't have a good day from the field. Uh, Virginia just went bizarrely cold, and also... You know, USF missed the front end of a one-on-one. Hauser got a relatively decent look. I mean, it was contested, but it was relatively decent. If it goes in, you know, we're talking about the game and how close it was, um, but it just didn't fall there. And Sam Hauser for, a, you know, he's 44.5% career three-point shooter. It just didn't fall. So, you know, sometimes that happens, and that's the case there. For the Dons, you know, Jamari Bouye, 35 minutes, no turnovers, 19 points, six dimes. He was awesome. And then they've got a nice little three-guard attack. And uh, Khalil Shabazz is another important player. He went down with an injury at one point in the game, was able to return. So that's uh, that's certainly that's certainly good news for them. Hey, big big time win for USF. It's it's just kind of cool to see these kinds of upsets that that materialize because no one had this. I mean, we just after the way Virginia looked and the fact that USF was just so poor against Lowell, um, we didn't see it coming. So yeah, uh, big gains there, and we'll keep an eye on the Cavs going forward. By the way, Villanova mm. has looked really really good through two games, and it's going to play again this weekend in Bubbleville. We got more for you on that coming up. But first, check this out. Look at you. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, so GP didn't know I was going to do that, but every like every 18th or 19th podcast, I like to just throw a curveball there with the um, with the ad bump. Okay, so Villanova, because I do want to get your thoughts. Let me just quickly give you the ground floor uh, view of what Nova's been able to do here and, and see what your opinions are. Without a doubt, Jeremiah Robinson Earl was a misfire for us, and I say that as we ranked him high. Like I think he was top 20 in our top 101. I don't have it up in front of me, but I feel like he was top 20. He should have been in the top 10. I thought Colin Gillespie was going to be Villanova's best player and the Big East player of the year. I was wrong about that. If it's going to be anyone on this team, it's going to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And I'll add a little more on this. So I want your opinions on JRE and then how Villanova looked after getting a real scare with a former Big East foe in Boston College, but they got over the hump only because of Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And then they play Arizona State on Thanksgiving. The, the really the only thing worth watching in sports on Thanksgiving evening with no NFL game. And to me, courtside, it was just, it was kind of a signature Villanova win, Parrish. Like, Arizona State was completely taken out of its rhythm. Remy Martin only had five points. He won't have a worse game this season. That is a guarantee. He will not play worse than he did against Villanova. And the next thing you know, like, Nova's just like, 
oh yeah, hi, we're up nine points and you have no shot to win the game. They were just in a groove completely. Robinson Earl was was fantastic and they had good support under him. But uh, your impressions on the Wildcats who we're not putting on the level of Gonzaga at this point, but they are 2-0 and and they've, uh, they've agreed to stick around for another game. They're going to play Virginia Tech on Saturday night. They look exactly like I thought they would look, except you're exactly right. Jeremiah Robinson Earl looks better than I anticipated. Um, as as a, at first, I just I, I think last you know last night Thursday night was my first moment of man, it's nice to have college basketball back. You know, we had a nice Thanksgiving here at the house, just the five people who live in this house, and you know, so and that game didn't tip to like eight forty ish Central, nine forty ish Eastern. My point is. My wife and kids were asleep by the by the time tip off, so I was I like had the whole place to myself, and settled in, and was able to just like settle in without distraction and 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 watch a night time college basketball game between two nationally ranked teams. A lot of fun, and immediately while watching, I go, oh wow, Jeremiah Robinson Earl is too low on our All-American list, too low on our top 101 list, and probably needs to be a projected first-round pick of the 2021 NBA draft because he looks the part. I mean, we already knew what he could do uh, as a front-court presence. Incredible rebounder, and, you know, great defender. Um, he's reli- Now he's reliably hitting 15-foot jumpers. It was just like pick and pop, and, and, and he just not, not – you know, in college – you don't necessarily ever assume a big man is just going to knock down a shot because it's college basketball. We're talking about amateurs. In the NBA, a little different. Like, pros are supposed to knock down these shots. Jeremy Robinson Earl looked like a pro big knocking down these little shots, like a 15-footer, 15-footer, just like rock solid. And, you know, he ended up 11 of 17 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3 against Arizona State. He's now averaging 23 points and 9 rebounds. Um, he looks awesome. Um, Colin Gillespie, the preseason uh, first-team All-American, is the fourth-leading scorer on Villanova right now. Now, it's early. It's early, but he is the fourth-leading scorer, which just speaks to how talented Villanova is. And on the other side, I thought Josh Christopher looked awesome, too. Like, you know, sometimes when you're watching a college basketball game, if you've got the context – you know, this kid's a projected top 10 pick, lottery pick, whatever. You, you go, okay, I'm going to watch him. And you go, okay, I kind of see that. I can see that, sure. That performance from Josh Christopher against Villanova was the type of performance where if you set somebody down and they didn't know either team, they didn't know who was playing, they didn't know anything about who was rated where coming out of high school, who's projected in the mock drafts, you could watch that game and you'd go, well, that guy looks like he's going to be in the NBA. Like Josh Christopher looked – you know, pull up jumper. He's like shooting off the bounce, shooting in transition. He looked like a pro. Sometimes pro prospects don't look like pro players in college. And even this early in the season, Josh Christopher looked like a pro. He was fantastic. He was. Arizona State couldn't get the win. Um, and they, they, but you know, Villanova just, they played the style they wanted to play. Now, Christopher did look good. Bagley was better in the first game than he was the second. Uh, but, you know, I had a chance to, to speak with Bobby Hurley at length uh, late on Thursday night. And, you know, if Remy Martin plays better, then it's a different story. But he's the head of the snake. I mean, he, for him to only get five points, it was it was a wonderful job. Uh, Villanova threw, I think, four different defenders and just constantly had him with a different look. It completely threw him out of whack. And uh, and all credit to, to Nova there. Arizona State, now it's going it's, to... It, it doesn't have... A game until scheduled until December 10th. That's of note. It will host San Diego State. So keep an eye out on that. If it can, again, as always, if the game can remain on as scheduled, that will be an intriguing one. I still do think that is going to be the best team in the Pac-12. I'm still, I'm still going to drive that train. But, uh, but this was more about Villanova on Robinson Earl. I spoke with uh, the coaching staff and and Jay Wright about him afterward. And the one thing that was really harped on was that for all that he's been able to do offensively, and he was, listen, spot up threes, put it on the floor, mid-range jumper, work the post, back to the basket, put, you know, good handle, really a, a nice array of moves, and he's a problem if he, he doesn't even need to get downhill. Like, give him the ball near the elbow, let him put it on the deck, and he'll work you with a spin move, some hesitation. Like, it's, there were a couple times in the past two days where I was like, 
there was one move. I think it was in the first half against Arizona State. I was like, damn it, we missed. I was like, we have him too low. There's no doubt about it. And from there, he only got better. But what uh, I'm making taking too long to make my point here. The staff is saying I, I do I do I do that all the time. Yeah, I know. So you know what? There we go. <laughs> yeah, we're we're feeling each other here. Stay, feel free. Yeah, but they're saying. He is better defensively than he is on offense, and he's great on offense. He is the, he can truly guard one through five at the college level. And there's a difference between guarding one through five at the NBA level and college level. There's no doubt about it. But he did. He guarded all five positions in the past two days and was as responsible for trying to face up on Alonzo Verge as he was on Marcus Bagley. And it's... It's really impressive. He doesn't really have... I feel like Robinson Earl's reputation for his defense is not quite there yet. But let's let's start the hype now because he was the Big East freshman of the year, but he has taken a significant leap. And him and Drew Timmy, both sophomores, they have stepped into their roles immediately as sophomores and are at the forefront of the National Player of the Year conversation. I mean, it's to me, it's, it's Robinson Earl 1... Timmy two Suggs three like I don't know like it's uh, to me though uh, to me it's JRE because he's just the other players around him have been good GP but he is uh he has shined uh, above them all real quick one more thing on uh, the fact that they're gonna play Virginia Tech I just I I love this so the game ends they get the win and there had been rumblings earlier in the day that like well Villanova lost Temple because Temple is now going on a COVID pause. So if they want to get another game, can they just get an opponent here in Mohegan Sun and just opt to stay for another two nights? I mean, you've done that move. I'm staying at a casino. Eh, whatever. Two more nights. What's what's the harm, right? GP, very familiar with this. Extremely <laughs> familiar it. with this move. I have actually done that. Yes. Yeah, with that. No, I'm, that's not a joke. <laughs> it, it, it's Yes, without a doubt. So the game ends, and... I asked Jay Wright on camera for CBS Sports HQ if he would do it, and he was like, yeah, I mean, why would we not? We want to try and get the game. I got to talk to my staff, see if we can do it. But his whole point was, we've now come here and done this. We see how the operation is run. I cannot even leave my room unless someone at security meets me and guides me to the service elevator to go anywhere. It's extremely strict for the teams, and and for and for me as well, and everyone that's, you know, quote-unquote, in this bubble which is not a true bubble but it's as close as you can have one in a, in a casino um so his point was let's just get another game in here why don't we do it so he had to go then talk about it with the staff see if they could get the right opponent for about an hour and a half and virginia tech agreed to do it if villanova was going to play because virginia tech was supposed to play temple saturday at mohegan sun and it was 145 in the morning when I was told Mike Young, the Virginia Tech coach, was asleep. But he had already said if they agree to do it, just I'll wake up and I'll find out the news. Villanova said yes. And Villanova has a it has a pretty loaded non-conference schedule. Like, there are no mid-majors on that schedule. And for Wright to do that, to say, no, we're just going to get it here. I just think it's a really good thing for the sport. I think it's almost necessary for scheduling survival. And just kind of this whole notion of, like, you know, kind of the attitude, the ethos of like, you know, pick up all like who's got next Villanova wins. Anyone else want to come play us here? And we're going to get Virginia Tech Saturday night. Personally, I'm excited because that's uh, that's an upgrade of a game that I'm going to get to cover here. And so, yeah, it's going to be damn fun. That's another offensively oriented team, just like Arizona State that Nova is going to get here uh, Saturday night in Bubbleville. All right, before we get out of here, let's bounce around, uh, just touch on a, a few other teams. We are on the third day of the season right now. It's uh, nearing 5 o'clock on the East Coast, so there's games happening right now. Uh, there will be more games tonight. But um, so far, you know, from from the first game that tipped on Wednesday morning till now, what are some other things that stand out there? Okay, let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a tour. Um, from the opening night, tough, tough for our boy Mick. I mean, San Diego State had no issues at all. Uh, now, thankfully, it wasn't on what should soon be Mick Cronin Court, hashtag Nelkin Stay, but 15-point win for uh, UCLA wasn't at full strength, but San Diego State to make that kind of mark after a two-loss undefeated season, come out of this gate strong, I thought was impressive. Um, yeah, like to, for people who maybe don't know, uh, UCLA was missing its second leading returning score in uh, Jalen Hill and also Johnny Juzang, the transfer from Kentucky. So they were shorthanded. Not, not an excuse but a possible explanation. Um, just a real quick comment on this. Uh, want your thoughts. Georgia Tech lost in four overtimes to Georgia State. <laughs> I put Georgia Tech on the map as the best team in the state, so the Georgia State account actually completely clowned me, and I deserved it. 
But how we feeling about our how we feeling about Josh Passner rocking in the face shield on the sideline? Can I get a can I get a ruling parish? Here's what I'm going to say about that. Like, like, let's just be honest. It looks ridiculous. But, but I know, but, but I actually kind of love it while it does at the same time. It looks ridiculous, but like, I'm not going to laugh at people who are trying to be as careful as they can be in, in the middle of a pandemic. Like, you know, it's so sure it looks silly, but it's, it's safe or it's safer than your cloth mask that coaches are wearing around their chin half game anyway. So I, I refuse, I will not be the person making fun of people for trying to take this seriously. So um, I respect Josh for trying to take it seriously. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of him at that. Obviously I'm just saying, I love the fact that it's Passner that's doing this and he's just like, he's rocking it, but he's also rocking it and he can't get over Georgia state for OT loss. It's a rough look there. Um, elsewhere, West Virginia won the scuffle for South Dakota. Bad Boy Morris Classic. Uh, Western Kentucky actually had it. I mean, it had a real shot, and it kind of slipped away from them. I, I wanted Western Kentucky to win only because I was going to be real curious about where you were going to place it in your rankings. I have not even looked. Just out of curiosity, did you rank WKU coming into Friday after its, its win over Memphis on Thursday? I did not. Um, I did drop Memphis out, and I just went next best team up, which was, for me was Michigan. So Michigan is now number 26 in the top 25 of one. If Western Kentucky would have beaten West Virginia, then you you have to rank them. And so I would have jumped them into, you know, probably somewhere in that, I don't know, 15 to 20 range, maybe 15 to somewhere outside of the top 15, but definitely inside of the top 25. And they would have deserved it. They look good. Even in defeat to West Virginia, they look good. Charles Bassey has been terrific. Um, Derek Culver, uh, you know, and, and Charles Bassey matched up uh, in that championship game. Culver, I, I think maybe got the better of him. He, you know, he's averaging 15 and 10 now through three games, but, but West, Western Kentucky, you know, Rick Stansberry, how about this? Pretty wild that Rick Stansberry has Western Kentucky in a better place than Mississippi state is right now, you know, but yeah. that is, that is the college basketball world we're living in. You're right about that. Um, there weren't a ton of shockers in the first two and a half days here. Cause you know, we mentioned Virginia going down was and Virginia and UCLA GP I'm, I'm vamping right off the top of my head. So I don't know if you can confirm this or not, but given that you update the damn rankings every day, am I right that to the point where we are recording this podcast are Virginia and UCLA, the only teams that were ranked in the preseason AP top 25 to take a loss or is there someone else that I'm completely forgetting about? No, I think well, Kansas as well, but I'm, I'm talking yeah. about like, you know, to an a loss team. to an unranked team. Yeah. It's UCLA to San Diego state and it is, um, Virginia okay. to San That's Francisco. It. Those are the only ones. Of course, there was a near one on Friday afternoon. Illinois needed Io Desumu to go coast to coast in the final 10 seconds, get fouled, knock down free throws. They end up beating Ohio um, by a couple of, of points. Uh, yeah, 77, 75, but they were on the ropes. I mean, they were, tra- they were literally trailing in the final 20 seconds. So yeah. they almost got caught after um, – kicking the crap out of their first two opponents. They won their first two games by an average of 60.5 points per game. And then they, they got into a fight with uh, Ohio, but they avoided the upset. They are three and zero. and uh, Desumu, you want to talk about national player of the year stuff. He's averaging 25.7 points, 7.7 rebounds, 6.7 assists through three games. He's six of 14 on three pointers so far this season. That's 42.9%. If he's going to shoot above 40% from three, uh, he's going to be a, a lottery pick in the 2021 NBA draft. You're right. And speaking of stuff you'll never hear on the other podcasts, we had some good things to say about Illinois, but uh, and we still do, but we didn't anticipate uh, that close of a game with Ohio. If you're looking for, listen, Tiger fans of Clemson, uh, you're 2-0, wins over Mississippi State and Purdue, Good job. Right now, you're technically in the top 30 of Ken Palm. So, Brad Brownell, uh, his next scheduled game is South Carolina State and then home against Maryland on December 9th. So, that's just a, that's a nice start there uh, for Clemson. But otherwise, it hasn't been too... I mean, there's been random stuff here and there, but not major headline-making stuff. Xavier barely got by Toledo. That game actually wasn't even broadcast because Fox Sports put out an, an announcement that it was not comfortable 
due to its own company COVID protocols with broadcasting the game, but they played the game. So again, that's just a little bit of a should have got some Gonzaga put up to just broadcast the game. They'd have done it. You're you're not incorrect about that. <laughs> I mean, geez, um, Kansas uh, romped on St. Joe's as expected. By the way, we, you know they got beat by uh, they got beat by Gonzaga, and then they came back and they and they got it done. I, I'd say that's pretty much it uh, that hit my radar. Uh, anything else that people should be aware of from the first two and a half days that was that was notable for you, GP? No, I mean, that's it, it, more than anything. It's just we got games like a lot are getting canceled, but a lot are getting played. You know, reasonable people can debate the whole Auburn Gonzaga thing. We'll see how that plays out in the coming days and weeks. But, you know, I this is a season unlike one we've ever had. And it's going to be a bumpy ride. But I will say the way the television cameras are shooting the games and with the piped in crowd noise, it looks it looks it looks right on TV. I don't know how much you've seen on TV because you've been in the Mohegan Sun, but it looks good on TV. It looks like it looks and feels like real college basketball. Like when I was watching Kansas Gonzaga, it, yes, it looks different because you don't have fans there, but they shoot it in a way. And it sounds like you're watching high stakes, big time college basketball, and that's that's nice to have. I'll I'll just add a couple quick things so we can get out of here. Um, agree with the noise. So in the arena, the first time I heard it, I made a joke that it sounded like something out of NBA Live 2005, and then they someone came over and was like, "Hey, Norlander, we actually are using like the crowd soundtrack from NBA 2K." And uh, right. for the first like ten minutes of the first game. It was weird, and but then like you get used to it, and then there's been a couple of times when there's just been like an injury, so they they kill the sound altogether. And one time the sound accidentally, I don't know if like the playlist ran out, like if it's you know a 20 minute track and they got to restart it every 20 minutes, but it just stopped actually weirdly in the middle of a free throw, and so there was about a 15 second period where there was nothing, and that's terrible. Like you do need white noise in the arena. It is uh, you get used to it in a hurry, and it is way better than nothing. Nothing would be terrible for the environment and atmosphere. So that's a that's a good thing, uh, and. Hopefully it's coming through decently on television. Uh, I do want to give listeners a heads up. We do have good game schedule for Saturday and Sunday to keep an eye on. Obviously, there's a ton of football, but college basketball does have a couple of good ones to watch. Nova Virginia Tech is the is the big one to me on Saturday. Adam O'Hegan son. I, Virginia Tech loves to shoot the three, so I think there's a chance they might be able to, to try and keep it close. That's 8 o'clock on ESPNU. LSU versus St. Louis is also intriguing because those should both be tournament teams. That's a three o'clock game, but I think yeah, I think you got to watch it through the ESPN app if you're going to do that. And then um, the other good one is Notre Dame plays against Michigan State at eight o'clock on Big Ten Network on Saturday. I would, to me, those are probably the three most interesting on Saturday, Sunday when you're up against the NFL. Texas Tech Houston is the best game of the weekend. That's five thirty on ESPN. Uh, Texas Tech right now is number five in Ken Palm. Houston is 16. Richmond plays at Kentucky. That's a one o'clock tip on ESPN. I expect Kentucky to win the game, but Richmond has a bunch of 22-year-old dudes. They know how to play defense, and they're tough to prepare for in terms of the stuff Chris Mooney runs, so they got a real shot there. Um, So keep an eye on that. And then we've yet to see Baylor play. They are in Vegas. They will play against Washington. I have no idea what the broadcast uh, situation is for that, but Baylor will open its season without Scott Drew on the sidelines. He's still at home quarantining. Washington will play uh, the Baylor Bears at 4 o'clock on Sunday. That's East Coast time. Uh, Sounds like you forgot a game. What did I forget? Rhode Uh, Island, San Francisco, I'm pumped for. Don't get me wrong, but what if... I, I, I Honestly, what did I forget, GP? Sunday afternoon, Big Ten Network, Ohio State against... UMass Lowell. Okay. <laughs> you know, I knew that, and I forgot I knew that because I talked to Pat Duquette, the coach at Lowell, afterward. How about this? Ohio uh, State sent him a plane, right? Yeah. They, uh, look at us. Look at us. How do you know I'm going to say what I'm gonna, well, before I'm going to say it? Because that's the most interesting thing that you could possibly say. That's that's also true. Um, <laughs> Ohio State sent the private plane, paying to have Lowell come out and theoretically take a loss, but. <laughs> I'm, 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 this is, this is an executive decision right now that we have to hold to. We're not podcasting until minimally Ohio State plays UMass Lowell. And I don't care if UMass Lowell loses by 70 to Illinois State on Saturday. If UMass Lowell beats Ohio State, it has to lead the podcast on Sunday. Has to. Dude, lead, lead, lead the, it'll lead every podcast. For, if UMass Lowell beats Ohio State on Sunday, it be, the River Hawks will be right in between Vista, South Carolina and Terry M. F. and Teagle for eternity. 
in the shouts. That sounds like a all right. There we go. All right, they gotta get they gotta get the win. But they gotta get they the do, win. Yeah, yeah, we add we organically add to the shouts whenever something feels right, and that's how we end up with Devin Downey. Then of course Chester Terry Larnell. And if the River Hawk, all the Riverhawks got to do is go to Value City Arena on Sunday, escape with a victory, and the Riverhawks will, they're going to be a part of this podcast every episode going forward. Get it done. I'm fired up. I'm fired up. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the absolute worst. Not even close. Worst pandemic of my lifetime. If you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, and we will talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bad. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.